So what we're going to do this morning is I'm going to read a few, uh, a few verses, a few bits of scripture, and then I'm going to talk about it for a few moments, and we're going to give you a few steps, a few challenges to walk away with. But if you have your notes, you can turn in there. If you have your Bible, I'm going to read from two different places. It's in the same book. It's from John. It's, just in, uh, it's one of the Gospels in the New Testament, so there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I'm going to read from chapter 10. I'm going to read one verse that is going to kind of preface the entire series we're about to do. And then I'm going to go back a few chapters into John chapter 5. And that's where I'm going to hang out, with, hang out this morning. So if you have your notes, it's going to be on the screen as well. John chapter 10 says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. We're starting a series today called Freedom because we believe that God wants us to have an abundant life. We believe that he didn't just come and die so that one day we could die and be with him, but he came and died on a cross so that we could live an abundant life, that we could experience true freedom that's only found in his power by his spirit. And so what we hope over the next few weeks is to be able to give you some tools and some mechanics that say, listen, God has an abundant life that he wants you to live today. Don't just make it day by day so that one day you can die and then you can experience real life. No, God wants you to experience life today. And so the story that we're going to read from is found in John chapter 5. It's five chapters before. And it's the story where a man experienced freedom. He, he encountered abundant life when he met Jesus. So John chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. From time to time, an angel of the Lord would come down and stir up the waters. The first one into the pool, after each such disturbance, would be cured of whatever disease they had. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked them, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. You pray with me one last moment. God, thank you so much for the moments we share. I pray that you would be in and through every word that's spoken up here. God, we thank you. We give you praise and give you glory and honor in your name. Amen. So, how many of you remember when you got your driver's license? Some of you are like, I'm not there yet. I'm a teenager. But like, you remember how exhilarating it was when you got your license? Like, woo! Like, I'm free. Right? Like, I, I got my license. I can drive. I'm an adult. Everything in my life is going to be changed forever, and I'm so excited. My entire first 16 years of life, I could not wait to get my license. I was that kid who thought he was an adult at three years old. At three years old, I called my, my mom and dad, mother and father. They're like, why? Because like, I'm an adult. They're like, you're three. And I'm like, mother, father. Like, I could not wait. And I had this expectation that when I get my license, my life is going to change forever. So May 27th, 2006, showing my age there, I turned 16 and I went and got my license. And man, it was awesome. Man, I didn't have to have my dad take me and my girlfriend on a date. I could take her on a date. Like, that's a big deal at 16. Like, I could go see my friends without having to ask my mom, can you give me a ride? I want to go hang out with Bryce. Like, like, it was so awesome, this freedom and this incredible exhilaration that I'm an adult. I have arrived. I'm a man. And I got to tell you, it didn't last very long. It did not last very long. I felt, I felt everything I thought I would feel for about a month 
But then, as, a, as most 16-year-olds do who think that they are grown up, I made a mistake. And the mistake was thinking that I was as equal of a man as my six-foot-four, 300-pound father was. And I got to tell you, to this day, I am not that much of a man. But what happened was I was 16, a buddy of mine had just turned 16, and we were going on a youth trip. Now, growing up, I didn't go on family vacations. Every trip I went on was a church trip. Everything we went on was Jesus-related, or we didn't go. So we went to a trip in Galveston, Texas. And we get there, and my buddy, he had this great idea because we're 16, we're grown-ups, we're free, we can do whatever we want, is he brought a water balloon launcher. And not just any water balloon launcher, one of those ones, I think they're illegal now, that could shoot, at least on the packaging set, 100 yards. And at 16 years old, we were like, man, we're going to mess somebody up. Like, we are going to do some fun with this thing. So we get to our hotel a little early. We have no plan. The only thing we know is we need to go ahead and fill our bathtub up with water balloons. So we fill our water balloons up. And then we go to the service, we do our Jesus thing, and it was awesome, it was really great, but what I really wanted to do was shoot some water balloons. So then we come back, and we get our water balloon launcher, it's night now, and just across the courtyard is another building, and on this building there's some balcony, and on the balcony is a party going on. So at 16 years old, just across the courtyard, we're men, we're adults, we're free, we can do whatever we want. We said, we're going to shoot them. So we got everything together, we had all the lights off, and we're going, and we, I mean, we had two guys on each side holding it, and then we're pulling it back. I mean, we are really getting this thing, we're taking aim, and boom, we let it go. And it goes just to the right of where the party is, and it smacks the window, and the water goes everywhere, and they don't even notice. The music is still going, everybody's still dancing, the lights are still flashing, and we're like, time to zero in. So we go to the next one, we go just a little to the left, we let it fly, and it goes right past everybody and hits the window right in front of where they are. Well, immediately everybody begins to kind of look around like, what, what just happened? Like, we're all having a party, we're all hanging out, and a water balloon just hit. But remember, it was dark, and the lights were out, and they had no idea where it came from. So now we, we got them, we got them, we're adults, we're men, we are zeroed in. So we let the next one fly, and I kid you not, it was perfect. This guy was looking around with the cup in his hand, and boom, hit his hand, the cup went out. They got mad, and we cheered like a bunch of little fifth-grade cheerleaders. Woo! I mean, like, we were so pumped. And so what we should have done in that moment was we should have cut our losses, right? Oh, no, we were just getting started. Now we are letting them fly left and right. We are just, we are just decking people. And teenagers, if you're in here, don't, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't do this. Talk to your parents afterwards about why you should. But we're just letting them fly. And then these two guys decided that they figured out where we were and they were going to come get us. So they got out of the room and they go out of the building and they're coming across the courtyard. So what we should have done in that moment was we should have retreated, right? No. So now we're shooting these guys while they're running at us. I mean, we're just letting them fly. These guys are taking hits left and right. And we think it's the greatest thing on the planet. Well, they get to our building, and we run inside, and we lock the door, and, you know, they, they, they can't figure out where we are. Eventually, I get a knock, and uh, it was one of the employees at the hotel, and they, uh, they, they knocked, and we had a chaperone, but I was 16. I'm an adult. I'm a man. I can, I can handle this, right? So I answer the door in my <coughs> deepest 16-year-old voice that I could muster. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, we heard there's a complaint that some, some kids are shooting some water balloons, and I'm like, you know, trying to wipe sleep out of my eyes because I just rolled in bed 30 seconds ago. I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I'll take care of them, boys. Don't you worry about it. And they shut the door, and I'm like, ha, ah, like I just got, I'm a man. I'm free. I can do whatever I want. But I made one, one big mistake is that what they did is they looked at our group and realized that we had a group leader, and they called the group leader, and who do you think was the group leader? 
my dad. So I got another knock on the door, and this was not the same knock. You know when like an employee comes and like room service, you know, hey, we heard a complaint. That was not the knock. Well, I'm sitting there sleep. I'm not asleep, but I'm sitting there laughing, thinking how much of an adult I am. And, then, and I'm like, oh no, I know, I know, gonna shout it out. It's my dad, and I know that knock because I can feel his eyes already penetrating my soul, like while he's knocking. And so I open the door, and he says, son. We need to talk. And you know, for, for a month, I felt like a man. In that moment, I felt like a small child who was about to get a lashing. And so I remember our dad having the conversation, and I remember him explaining to me how I'm, you know, I'm not a man until I move out and I pay my own bills and I you know, do this. And you know, all the typical stuff. But after that conversation, I'll never forget the feeling that I had. And the feeling that I had of disappointment was it wasn't that I was disappointed we couldn't shoot water balloons anymore. That, that wasn't it. The feeling of disappointment wasn't that my dad got onto me and I was in trouble. I was in trouble a lot growing up. The feeling of disappointment I had was that I realized this season of life that I'd waited 16 years for wasn't quite what I expected. That I had thought for 16 years, when I get here, this is what life is going to be like. And I quickly realized in that moment that it wasn't exactly everything I thought it was going to be. It wasn't quite as free as I thought it would be. It wasn't quite as um, warm as I thought it would be. All these changes I thought were going to happen, it was good, but it wasn't quite what... I thought it would be. And I think for a lot of us, if we're honest, we may be in a season right now that doesn't quite look like we thought it would look. That for a long time, maybe for years, maybe for months, maybe, maybe you kept waiting and hoping that if I could just get to this season of my life, if I could just get past all of these hurdles, if I could just jump through these hoops, when I get here, life will be different, right? Maybe it was, hey, I got to go to college. I got to get a great degree. And when I get a degree, I'm going to get a great job. And life is going to be so easy. I'm going to have so much money. It's going to be amazing. And then you got that degree and you graduated and you realized that life's a lot harder than you thought it was going to be, right? Like, I'm going to have all this money, but all my money is now paying all of this debt. And not only do I have more money, I have a whole lot more bills. And, and, and now life is so complicated. I just want a social life. And I just want to get married. And I just want, like, I thought life was going to look different when I graduated. But it doesn't. Or, or maybe, maybe, maybe you're one of those people that thought, you know what? If I could just get married, everything will be better. Now, some of you are laughing. But you know, you used to think, man, if I could just get married, man, things, everything would be fixed. They're going to fix me. That's, that's what marriage is for. They're going to make everything better. I struggle with this. They're going to be better. We're going to complete each other, and everything is going to be so hunky-dory. All these issues, all of these struggles I have, if I could just get married. And then you got married, and you realize that it's not only that you have problems, but now they have problems. It's not just that you have problems that you knew about. Now somebody else knows about your problems, and it's even more enhanced. And now you're struggling to get through it, and all the things you thought would be fixed when you got married haven't been fixed or maybe 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 you had kids and you're like man if I could if I could just get past this stage if I could just get past the tantrums if I could just get past the screaming if I could just get past the fighting if I could just get past this one day everything will be better and I'm looking forward to that season and that season has come and gone and it's not quite what you thought it would be you would give anything you would trade their addiction for a temper tantrum any day their silence and absence you would trade any day just to hold them while they screamed one more time because the season doesn't quite look the way that you thought it would. And I found that spiritually for a lot of us, the seasons we're in may not quite look the way we thought they would. 
I, I, I signed up for this, God. I said I would follow you. I said you were my Savior, and I believed that you were going to make everything a whole lot better if I could just press through. And I remember that incredible moment. But if I'm honest, things just don't quite look the way I thought they would look. And what do you do when you live in that reality, when expectation and reality don't quite meet? What do you, what do, you do in that gap? How do you take a scripture, John 10, 10, that says, hey, Jesus came that you would have abundant life, and then we're going to do this series called Freedom, and it's going to be awesome. What do you feel when we talk about that? Because I would venture to say it's probably one of two. The first is you feel nothing. Okay, that sounds great, Joseph. Yeah, freedom, apathy. Or freedom, awesome, great. But really what you feel is apathy. Or maybe the second one you feel is you hear us talk about freedom, you hear us read John 10, 10, and you say, that's cute. I remember, and I used to believe that. I remember when I was young in my faith, but I'm older, I'm wiser, I've experienced more. I know abundant life is, it's a cool phrase and it's something we can put on a wall and it's something we can tell our kids about, but it's not really going to happen. My heart and my only goal this morning is not to try to radically change your life. It is not to give you a three-step process to reach abundant life. My only hope this morning is to create a desire within you that says, could it be possible that God actually wants more for my life than I'm currently experiencing? Could it be possible that God actually did die for more than just my salvation? Is it possible that God actually wants me to experience the true sense of freedom that he talks about in the Bible. That's my only goal this morning. And so in John chapter 5, we read about this guy who I think a lot of us may feel a lot like. We may feel a lot like the co-star here in this story. So what happens is Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and it says that he goes by this sheep gate. Now, this sheep gate in Jerusalem was just a place of commerce that literally people would bring sheep in, people would walk in. Jesus literally is going through the sheep gate. And right next to it is this pool called Bethesda where these disabled people used to lie. So imagine the scene here. There's a pool, and on one side of it, there's this busy commerce going. There are people moving left and right, and there are sheep, and there are people going everywhere. And all this booming interaction is going in and out of Jerusalem. And on the other side are all these disabled people who are living. They're just not really living. Right over there, they can see what life should look like, but right here, what they're experiencing is just living. And so the scripture says that Jesus comes up and there's this invalid. And the thing we know about invalid, the reason they chose this word is because he didn't always used to be this way. When you see the term invalid, that means something happened to cause him to be this way. He could have gotten sick, could have had some type of injury, he could have had some type of disease. But at one point in his life, he experienced true freedom in the sense that his body could do what he wanted it to do. And then something happened and now he's an invalid. Now he's crippled. Now he can't walk. Once what he experienced of such freedom is now gone because of this thing that happened in his life. And Jesus walks up and it says that he's looking at all these. There's all these people around, but he focuses in on this invalid. He focuses in on this one person who's experiencing something that that they didn't have to. Who's experiencing something that at one point they had freedom, but now they don't. And I wonder for you, if you're taking notes in here, and you can write the first one, I wonder for you, if I were to ask you the question, have you allowed life to cripple you for too long? Have you allowed life to cripple you for too long? Because we love to talk about freedom, and we love to talk about how how life is great and life is awesome, but I wonder if circumstances have happened in your life, and you say, man, maybe, maybe life isn't so great right now. And if life is perfect for you, take a few notes and go home. I'm proud of you. 
But for some of us, we got some things that are happening in our life. For some of us, things aren't always so easy, and we don't want to just come to church and say, great, we did it. We want to talk about reality. And for some of us, our reality is there are circumstances and there are things that maybe were completely outside of your control that have happened, and now they slowly begin to cripple you. I think about couples who, you know what, you did everything that you knew to do to love your spouse, and yet they still chose to divorce you. Or, 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 or I think about people who, who you went to work and you did everything right and you showed up every single day and you worked extra hard, but yet they still chose to lay you off. Or man, you know what, I, I've done everything I'm supposed to do. I've taken care of my body. I've been healthy. I've eaten right. And I still got a bad report. Or, or, or maybe you're sitting here and saying, you know what, I'm a good person. I love people. I trust people. I'm honest. But yet everybody seems to take advantage of me. And I'm sick and tired of being the guy who always gets betrayed, who always gets stabbed in the back, and I'm not going to do it anymore. You see, for a lot of us, the reason, that, the reason that we feel like this invalid isn't that you've done something wrong, but it's because you are a product of circumstances that have happened in your life. And if we want to be really fair, let's just say it. It's not fair. It's not. I didn't deserve this. I didn't deserve what she did to me. I didn't deserve what he did to me. I didn't deserve what my boss said. I didn't deserve what that friend that I trusted for 30 years did. I don't deserve that. But the reality is you're still living in this season, and it's not quite what you expected. And so I wonder for how long you've allowed this to go on, because if you let something sit for long enough, eventually it'll take over your life. And see, I wonder if maybe you're saying, well, yeah, something happened last week, but some of you, you're thinking about something that happened last month. You're thinking about something that happened last year. Some of you, you're thinking about something that happened 10 years ago, and it is still bringing you down because you haven't found freedom yet. Now, imagine this guy, I, I don't know, I, the scripture doesn't say this, I'm just wondering, says he was an invalid for 38 years. What did that 38 years look like? I imagine it looked a lot like what yours and I's look like right now, that he just tried to make it through. Can you imagine being a cripple but doing everything you can to maybe get a job and you're at your job but you just can't get around, you just can't seem to keep up and eventually you lose your job? Or, or, or maybe he, he had friends and, and he wanted to hang out and he wanted to go do all the fun stuff that they do but he couldn't do it and eventually after watching them day after day after day, experiencing what he couldn't experience, he just, he just gave up. And he's done everything he can think of to try to find a healing. And now he's at this pool and he's saying, listen, the last chance I have, the only thing that will change my life is if I get by this pool and I jump in whenever the water is stirred. Because there's nothing left for me to do. And it says that he was not only an invalid for 38 years, but whenever we find him, we don't find that he was just an invalid. We find that he's just laying down by the pool. He's just laying down by the pool. And so if you're taking notes, your second point is this is don't forfeit freedom for complacency. See, this guy immediately forfeited his freedom the moment that he chose to lay down. Well, Joseph, what, what, what do you mean he forfeited his freedom? If I'm me, and the only chance I have is to be the first person into this pool whenever it's moved, why would I lay down? I'm immediately at a disadvantage. I mean, I'm going to be right here by it. I mean, like, maybe I'm crippled. Give me a chair. Give me something. Let me sit down. But whenever it happens, I'm, I'm going in. Like, I'm, I'm the first. I'm not just going to lay down and relax and just accept that this is my newfound life. 
But this guy's choosing to lay down because eventually what happens is that circumstance that happened in your life that you haven't found freedom from, eventually what happens is it just becomes your new normal. Eventually what happens is you begin to say things like, it's just life. Just keeping it real. Like, I'm just, I, I just me. Life, life is tough. I'm just keeping it real, guys. Yep, yeah, yeah, they're gone, but man, it's, it's all right. I haven't talked to them in years, but hey, that's okay. That's just life. And we'll accept almost anything as our new normal. We really will. I remember as, as, as a child convincing my little brother of what his normal was. Now, if you haven't heard me talk about my little brother, I love my brother. And he may watch this. And Jordan, I love you so much. But you were hilarious, man. Because what my older brother, who's five years older than I, convinced my little brother was that he was a monkey that we had adopted from the zoo. And you're saying, how could you convince a child of that? Well, he was more hairy than your average child. Let's just say that. And let's just say that climbing was like a gift of his. And so we convinced my brother, Jordan, who we love, we convinced him that he was a monkey that his mom and dad didn't want at the zoo. And our parents felt sorry for him. And so they adopted him and brought him home. And you say, Joseph, that makes no sense. You're right. What makes even less sense is the first time we went to the zoo. First time we go to the zoo, my little brother doesn't want to go out the door. And we're like, yeah, you're going to see your real mom. She's going to take you back. And you ain't never coming with us. And he's like, no, no, mom, I don't want to go to the zoo. Don't take me to the zoo. And they're like, why? And he's like, because I don't want to go home. I want to stay here with you. And like, this is your home. No, I mean with the monkeys. What? Because day after day, week after week, month after month, we had convinced my little brother that he was a monkey, and eventually he just accepted it as his new normal. And he said, like, man, that is the most absurd thing I've ever heard. But I wonder what Jesus does when he looks at our life and he looks at all the things that he's already died to give us freedom for, and yet we choose to still live it and accept it as normal. I wonder how absurd it is to God sometimes to look at the things that you've just accepted and that you've just said, this is my new life, this is complacency, and instead of actually finding freedom, you've just said, this is the best it's going to be. And you lie down. You lie down. See, I don't know a lot about fighting. I'm not a great fighter, but I do know the first stance to fighting is standing. I do know the first thing you got to do is be upright. Well, well, if I can't stand, I can at least sit down. I mean, I can at least quickly get up if I'm standing. I can at least do something. I've still got a little bit of ability to be able to move around. But what happens when I lie down? I wish I had a pillow. It would be really nice right about now can't do anything. And I think spiritually what a lot of us are doing is we're just lying down. I think we are. I think I wonder why we haven't experienced freedom. I think one of the reasons many of us haven't experienced freedom is because we're just lying down. We're not actually standing up for things anymore. You want to know what happens when people lie down? Look at our world. You want to know how most marriages end in divorce? It's because somebody laid down and gave up. You want to know how a generation grows up addicted to pornography because somebody is laying down. You want to know how there's <laughs> issue after issue going on in our government, issue after issue going on in our country, issue after issue going on. Every, it's because people are laying down. And I wonder what would happen if we just stood up. I wonder what would happen if we said, you know what, I'm tired of laying down. I really want to stand. I actually want to receive the things that God has for me. Then in order to do that, you can't be laying down. He's not coming back for a people who are laying down, doing nothing, just getting by. He gave us a mission. He gave us an objective. He gave us a purpose. And he said, go and do it. And you can't do it if you're just lying down in your new normal because you're forfeiting your freedom for complacency. He didn't die for a complacent church. He died for a living church. 
So Jesus comes up, and there's this invalid for 38 years, and, and he's just lying there. He's lying there, and, and Jesus comes up, and, 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 and he asks this really, really crazy question. He looks at this guy, and he says, hey, invalid, hey, I see you're lying there. Hey, what's going on? He says, hey, um, do you want to be healed? I mean, he walks up to this guy, and he says, hey, some versions say, do you want to be made well? And I read this, and I'm like, like, come on, Jesus. Like, you're a smart guy. I'm like, clearly this guy needs a healing. Like, I mean, clearly he needs something, somebody to do something. Clearly you have the ability to do it. Like, why in the world are you asking him this question? Like, are you dumb? Like, have you ever asked Jesus that? Like, are you, like, are you, are you, are you picking up what I'm laying down right now? Like, why in the world would you ask this guy this? You see, what he did is he was asking him if he wanted to be healed. He was asking him if he wanted to be made well because there's an important part of the equation we've got to understand. Yes, Jesus had the ability to heal him. Yes, he needed a healing. But did the guy want to be healed? You see, for a lot of people, you don't want to be healed. Or if, you're, if, you're, uh, if you're keeping notes there, your next point is we must abandon our life to obtain his abundant life. You see, this guy was used to living this way. For 38 years, he has lived like this. He knew where to go and beg for money. He knew how to get to the pool. He knew how he was supposed to do this. He knew how he was supposed to do that. And Jesus walks in, and he didn't ask them the question immediately. It says that when he looked and saw the man lying down, he said, Hey, do you want to be healed? Because if I'm going to heal you, you're going to have to abandon this life in order to receive the abundant life that I have for you. And I wonder this morning, if Jesus were here, let's just play pretend that God's actually here with us this morning. If you don't believe he already is, let's just play pretend and say that he is here. And if he were to ask you the question, do you want to be healed, what would your life look like? Because for a lot of us, we say we want to be healed, but our habits are here. For a lot of us, yeah, I want to be healed, but I'm not changing anything over here. For a lot of us, it's, yeah, I want to receive freedom in my finances, but I'm still spending money I don't have. A lot of us, it's, I want to receive freedom from pornography and lust, but I still haven't put anything on my computer to stop me from getting there. Hey, I really want freedom in my marriage, and I want to, I want to receive everything that I'm supposed to have, but I'm still not loving and cherishing and praying and doing the things that God called me to do here. See, I wonder this morning if God's saying, do you want to be healed but he looks and what he sees is us lying down. You see, in order to receive abundant life, you have to be willing to abandon your current life. Which means if I want to receive what God has for me, I'm going to have to be willing to abandon the comfort and the complacency that I found over here. In other words, my life should reflect where I want to go. If I want to go there, why am I lying down here? If I want freedom, I should make some changes. And if you say, yeah, I really, I really, I really want to be healed, but you're not actually doing anything, you're still just lying down, you're probably, the answer that you're really saying with your body, the answer you're really saying with your life is, no, I'm fine. I'm okay. I'm complacent. So Jesus asks this man, hey, do you want to be healed? And he does what a lot of people do. He gives some justifiable excuses. He says, hey, like, like, yeah, I would like to be healed, but hey, I don't have anybody to help me get into the water because you see I'm lying down just relaxing. So like, like, I don't have anybody to help me get in. And not only that, every time something happens, somebody beats me into it. Like, it's just not fair. Like, I don't have what everybody else has. 
Because the truth is, excuses lead to imitation, but faith leads to expectation. And your next point there. Excuses lead to imitation, faith leads to expectation. See, what a lot of us do is we're really good at giving excuses that lead to us imitating that we want freedom, but not expecting that we'll ever receive it. Hey, like, I go to church, I do the right things, I'm a good person, but when it comes to actually receiving my freedom, I got a whole lot of excuses why I don't. Well, you don't know what he said to me, you don't know how bad it is over here, you don't know how terrible Joseph's sermon was on Sunday, like, you don't know, like, what happened over here, like, I got a thousand excuses, but hey, I'm trying, I'm imitating, I'm walking through the right things. Because excuses lead to imitation, but faith leads to expectation that it's actually going to happen. So... In order to demonstrate faith, I want to do something this morning. This is an axe. This is me removing the protective cover of it. Everybody who had not paid attention at all's eyes just came straight up whenever I said that. <laughs> this is an axe. What? What? There's an axe on stage. Now, those of you who don't know me, I like to throw axes. Like, I'm not like a super outdoorsy guy. You're like, hey, let's go hiking. I'm like, okay, like, can my shoes get dirty? Like, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know. I'm like, I'm just like, ah, whatever. But I can sit inside in the air conditioning and I can throw an ax and it is amazing. How many of you were at our volunteer event last week and you got to throw the ax? How awesome was that? It was so much fun. We just threw an ax and we laughed about it for like two hours. It was amazing. But I like to throw an ax a lot and I like to throw ax at targets. And so I began to practice a while ago. My wife and I went, and we began to throw axes. And um, I will be 100% honest, she beat me the first time we played, and that will never happen again. So like, I've been practicing for months. And then uh, Nate and Nick Bush built this thing over there for us, and they said, hey, when do you need it by? And I said, well, the event's on Sunday, but if you could have it done a month earlier so I could practice, that'd be great. And so they built this room a week ahead of time, and I've been throwing over there, and then everybody did it on Sunday, and then I've been throwing all week long to really practice because I want to show you how great of an axe thrower I am. So what I did is I made this target, all right? What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I already got Pastor Will's permission, so everybody's like, oh my gosh. All right, so I got Pastor Will's permission that I can put a target up here, and I'm going to throw it, and I'm going to hit it. Because I'm going to prove to you that I'm a great axe thrower. And dear Lord, please stay up. <laughs> All right, so I've got this X. I was practicing on like a 3 by 5 note card, so I, that, that'll be pretty easy to hit. But I've been practicing on a 3 by 5 note card because like, I want to show that I'm a great axe thrower. All right? So how many of you think I can hit that X? I can hit that X? All right, all right, a good number of you? All right, awesome. So about, about just show of hands real quick. Put them up. How many of you think I can hit it? About... 60% believe in me, the other 40% still don't think I'm safe. Awesome, all right, good. So, so I can throw this ax, I've been practicing, I got my form down, I got everything right, I've done everything right, I can hit that ax, about 60% of you believe me, all right? All right, awesome, can I get a little noise, all right, as we do this, can I get a drum roll or something? All right, all right, we're gonna, we're gonna show you, okay, hold on, hold a sec, before I throw it, about 60% of you said I could do it, how about we, how about we up the ante a little bit? How many of you are willing, I need two people, to come stand side by side, and let me throw it and hit the X in the middle. All right, how many, how many takers? All right, go ahead, hand, raise hands. One, two, wow, 60%, three, four, five. Okay, a few of you are like, eh, all right, maybe he could, maybe he could. I don't know about his shoes right now, but like the rest of them, maybe he could, maybe he could. All right, all right, so, so if I had 60% of you said, I can hit that X, you believed me. But when I said, how many of you trust me enough that you would stand beside each side of that X and let me throw it, it went from 60% to five. What do we do about that? <laughs> Damon, you want to come up here? Really? You'd come up here and let me throw it? 
<laughs> your voice cracked. I'm not going to go with that, all right? Yeah, 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 sure, sure. He's like, dear God, please don't let him take me up there. So if I was to say, how many of you believe I could do that? 60% of you said I did. I asked how many of you trusted that she would stand on either side of it, and I would still be able to do the thing that you said I could do earlier, and it dropped to 5 So let's just say it dropped to 5%, less than that, dropped to 3%. So apparently there's a difference between belief and trust. Because you may believe I can do something, but do you trust whenever your life is on the line that I'm actually going to do it? And I think when it comes to God, we use this term faith a lot. I believe that I'll receive freedom. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he has more plans for me. I believe that he wants me to prosper. But do you trust that he's going to do it? Because for a lot of us, what our life looks like is, yes, I believe, yes, I believe, yes, I believe. And then God says, okay, move, go stand beside the target and trust me. Most of us say, Hey, hey, hey that, that's a little risky. Hey, 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 I like the idea of believing in you, but when it actually comes to me trusting my life, that's a different story. You see, for a lot of us, we're really good at excuses, and it's leading to a lot of imitators. But people that have faith expect that God will hit the mark every single time because he's undefeated. There's not a single moment that God's missed the mark. There's not a single life that he's made a mistake on. There's not a single moment where he said, oh, didn't mean for that to happen. He has been perfect for all of existence before time began and after time is over. He has been perfect throughout the entire time. He's never missed. But when it comes to our life and truly trusting that he wants us to find freedom, it sounds great. We believe it, but we're not willing to put our life on the line to say, God, I trust that I'm going to receive freedom in you. And you see, for this guy... He believed that he could be healed, but he didn't really have a lot of faith because he was just lying down. Yeah, God, he's imitating. He's doing what everybody else is doing. Yeah, I'm by the pool. I'm, I'm doing all the right things. I'm checking them off the list. I'm just as good as everybody else. Like, yeah, I'm, I'm doing it. But he didn't really expect to be healed because he didn't have a support team. And everybody else always beat him in. I wonder for you, if we're going to talk about freedom over the next few weeks, do you truly have faith to believe that God wants you to find freedom? Or do you just believe that if I say it, it sounds good? Because God wants you to believe, but he also wants you to trust that he's a good God. So he says, hey, do you want to be healed? And he gives them these excuses. And, and, then, and then Jesus does something I think is even crazier. He, he, he looks at him and he asks him if he wanted to be healed. And the guy gave all the excuses. And he, yeah, that, that's great. Here's what I want you to do get up. Now, the first time I read that, I'm like, did I just read that backwards? Like, surely what he meant to say was, hey, you're healed. Now that you're healed, get up. But, but, but read it. That's not what happened. He said, get up. But hey, hey, Jesus, I need you to tell me I'm healed. I need maybe you to open up the clouds and let me see like an angel or something. Like, like I, I need you to do something. Like, I can't just get up. I'm already an invalid. Don't tell me to do something for 38 years I haven't been able to do on my own. Like, why in the world would Jesus just say this? Because your next point in your notes is sometimes God calls us to move before we see him move. Sometimes God calls us to move before we see him move. You see, for a lot of us, we're lying down. And we're so used to lying down, and we're just complacent, and we're saying, yeah, I believe, yeah, I believe, but I don't know if I trust. Here's how you know that you are walking by faith. When you walk by faith, you're willing to move, even if you haven't seen God move yet. You're willing to get up, even if God hasn't told you you're healed. You say, well, 
Like, it's really easy to say, Joseph, but it's a lot harder to do. It is, but if you believe and you trust by faith that God wants you to receive freedom, if you believe that when he died, it was for more than just the end, but it was for the present, if you believe and you trust that he is everything that he said he was, then you have the ability to get up even if you haven't seen God move yet. That means even if you haven't seen God fix your spouse because you think something's wrong, you can get up and start treating them as if everything's great. You can get up even if you feel like your kids are gone and they're never coming back. You can get up every single morning and you can pray for them and you can invite them over and you can love them. You can get up. You can get up even in the face of fear, even in the face of hopelessness, even in the face of pain. You can get up because you have a God who is undefeated. You can get up and trust he's going to hit the mark. I believe it. I trust it. Even if he hasn't moved yet, he is an undefeated God, and I'm going to walk by faith. You see, that's a tough thing to do. And you know, I'm getting ready to close. I'm glad to see the band's coming in here. We're we're about to finish up because I know you're tired of hearing me talk. As I was studying over the last few days, I remembered a story found in the book of Daniel. Some of you may know this story, some of you may not. But there's this this story in the book of Daniel, and it's found in Daniel chapter 3. And the thing is, as I read and I studied through John chapter 5, this isn't the first time that people have had to move before God moves. Look at the Bible. God said, hey, hey, Noah, go and build an ark because the rain's coming. Watch rain. But he had to move before he saw the rain come, Right? We look and, and we see Moses and he says, hey, Moses, go and let my people go. And he's like, hey, like, like, like what do you mean? Like, I'm, they're not going to just happen today. We look at David and he says, hey, David, you're going to be king one day. But he wasn't king immediately. We, we look a lot of times throughout the Bible and people had to move before they saw God move because they had to trust by faith. And so in Daniel chapter 3, we're told about these three Hebrew boys. Maybe you've heard about them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And what happened was this country of Babylon came and they sacked Israel. I mean, they just obliterated it. They destroyed all the the entire country. And what they did is they took some of the young nobles, they took some of the young people of prominence, and they carried them back to Babylon because they wanted them to learn their ways and to help them be a better country. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were the captives that were taken back to Babylon. So already, the life is not looking like they thought it was going to look. They thought, at this season of my life, I'm going to be in Israel. I'm going to be doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm going to be leading people. I'm going to be victorious. I'm going to be doing all this. But the reality was they were captives in another country having to listen to somebody else. It's not quite what they thought it was going to be. And so this king named Nebuchadnezzar, what he does is he builds this big golden statue. And he says, hey, whenever you got, everybody hears the music play. Everybody has to bow down and worship this golden statue. And you can write down Daniel chapter 3. I'd love for you to go read this afterwards. And everybody has to bow down to this golden statue. And so it comes time, everybody's playing the music, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, everybody else bows down to this statue and sh- to the statue, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego say no. Boy, hey, hey, boys, like, you will die if you don't bow down. Like, you will die if you don't just lay down and accept this as normal. You will die. Trust me, your life is on the line, boys. You better do what the king says to do. And they said no. We will not lay down. We will not bow down. We will not serve another God. And so the king is angry. He brings these three Hebrew boys before him. And man, he's just going off. How dare you? How dare you go against my laws? How dare you humiliate me? What are you thinking? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to throw you in this fiery furnace and you're going to pay. This is your last chance to just lay down. This is your last chance to bow down to what everybody else says is normal. 
And I love their response. I love their response. They said, hey, just so you know, our God has the ability to deliver us, comma, and he will deliver us. Hey, boys, you've been a little bold here. God didn't say he was going to deliver you. What, what, what are you banking on? They're banking on their faith. And then they go on further and they say, even if he doesn't, we will not serve your God. Even if he doesn't show up, we have so much faith that we refuse to lay down and accept this as normal. And so scripture goes, the king is ticked. He says, turn it up seven times hotter than it usually is. These boys are going to pay, and everyone's going to see this. You better lay down when I tell you to lay down. You better bow down when I say to bow down. So they turn it up so high, and, and it says that the guards who were carrying those three boys, that whenever they opened the doors, the fire was so hot that they, they died. The fire consumed them. It was so hot. But then the next, next part, I don't know if I've ever noticed this before. It says that they were tightly bound, and they fell into the fire. So they've done everything right. They, they have refused to lay down. They have refused to give in. They have refused to do all that. And now it's as hot as it's ever going to get. They're lying on the ground. They are bound and every, like, they are bound and they are face down on this ground like a lot of us feel. A lot of you right now, I'm talking about circumstances that have happened. And you feel like, I, why am I bound like this? You feel like, man, like I, I've been thrust into this. I mean, I didn't ask for them to get sick. I didn't ask for him to betray me. I didn't ask for her to leave me. I didn't ask for my kids to do this. Like, why do I feel so bound? And some of you feel right now like, man, it's hot. Like, man, I am stressed. Man, I am tired. Man, I just, I, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And you may be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You may be face down in the fire, bound right now. The scripture goes on, and the next time we see them, they're not lying on the ground. They're standing, and they're walking, and they're walking in this fire, and they're walking. And then the king looks down and reads the scripture. It says, I thought we threw three in. Why do I see four? The fourth man looks like the son of God. The scripture goes on that they, they walk out, and it's amazing, and everybody says, wow, this is a real God. But here's the point that I want to, I want to get by this morning. Even if you feel bound, even if you feel like you're in a fire, you can walk by faith this morning. You can get up. You can get up and believe that he is who he said he is, and he's going to hit that mark in your life. You can believe that he's going to hit that mark for your marriage. He's going to hit it for your kids. He's going to hit it for your work co-workers. He's going to hit it for your boss. He's going to hit it for your life because he is a good, loving God. And even if he doesn't, I will not bow down. I will not lay down. I will not give up on this because my God is a powerful God. What would happen over the next few weeks if we really believed that and we really trusted it? I think you'd see some changes in your marriage, not because they did something, but because you refused to lay down. I think you'd see some changes in your homes because you refused to lay down. I think you'd see some changes at work. I think you'd see some changes in your life if you'd be willing to say, God, I trust you. This morning, I trust you. We're going to sing here in a little bit. And I, my prayer is that you say, God, I trust you. I do. You're undefeated. I trust you. And over the next few weeks as we walk through this series, God, I trust that you want freedom in my life. And if you want to write on the back of your note card what it is you need freedom from, we'd love to pray for you. But maybe I'm young, Dave. Maybe I am. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe I am. But I believe this thing is true. And when he said, I came that you would have abundant life, I believe that he meant it just as much today as he did then. And in 2019, he wants freedom for you.
He wants life for you. You say, but he's not moving. I don't see it yet. I need him to show up. I need him to do something. What you can do is you can get up and walk by faith. And I can promise you, over the next few weeks, you will find freedom. You will find freedom in your life. You will find freedom in your marriage. If you have your Connect card, what we want to do is you can pull that out. We want to take a few notes or take a few um, bold steps this morning. We don't want you just to hear a message. We want you to do something with it. So if you have your Connect card out, we'd love for everybody in the room to participate. Today, I've never done a Connect card before. That's awesome. Just put on the back. Don't even put your name. Just put on the back your prayer request. We want to pray with you. Be say, hey, I'm ready to go through this. I want to find freedom. If you want to take a bold step, bold step A is say, today I am making Jesus my Savior and Lord. Say, man, I've never done it. I've never taken that step. I've, I've believed in a lot of the stuff I've heard, but I don't, I've never trusted him. I've never been willing to put my life and say, God, I trust you. Hey, take checks, bold step A. I'd love to meet with you and talk with you about that. Bold step B, today I'm choosing to be baptized. Next week we're going to have a baptism. Don't miss a chance. Don't miss a chance. Don't miss it. Don't miss an opportunity to take that next step in your discipleship to say, I'm publicly declaring that my God is alive. Bold step C says, I will take one step in faith this week towards freedom. Bold step C, and I pray everybody takes this. Bold step C, I will take one step in faith this week towards freedom. I don't know what that looks like for you. It may be getting up and going and, and having a conversation with your spouse. It may be getting up and calling your son and saying, hey, I still love you. I'm still praying for you. It may be getting up and saying, hey, I know this disease is in my body, but I'm going to just trust God. I'm going to thank him anyhow. I don't know what it looks like for you, but you can take a step this week if you trust that God is who he says he is. Bold step D says, I'm ready to live the full and abundant life God has planned for me. Please send me the link to sign up for the winter semester of freedom. And you say, man, I, I want to dive deep into this. Like, I don't just want to hear about it on Sundays. I want to dive deep into what this looks like. We have a program called Freedom that meets um, during the week. You can come here. You can do some worship. You can meet with other people who are saying, I want freedom in my life. Or bold step E, please include my email address in the prayer group for 4C kids, 4C students, 4C adults, and 4C outreach. Because here's what we believe is we believe your kids are going to find freedom at nine years old. I believe your students are going to find freedom at 15 years old. I believe people in our community are going to receive freedom because of the outreach, because we're willing to serve, because we're willing to go there. And if you will join us in believing that people are going to find freedom, check Bold Step E, and we'd love to tell you the things that we are praying for to actively happen this year. So really, you put that Connect card off to the side. Our ushers are getting prepared to take up our offering our tithes and offering, and a great opportunity to declare how much we trust God. We don't just trust him with our words. We don't just trust him with our t-shirts that say, I love God, but we trust God even with our finances. So what we're going to do is we're going to take up our offering, and our band is going to lead us in a time of worship. So we will bow your heads and pray with me. God, thank you so much for who you are. God, I thank you that you didn't just come, and you didn't just die so that one day I'd go to heaven. But God, you died so that I would have abundant life. And God, I believe and God, I trust that your word is true. I believe that what you did on the cross was more than sufficient. And so God, uh, myself, my marriage, my family, and I pray this church, we say that we will not lie down. We will not accept what the world says is normal. We will not accept what everybody else says is okay. God, we want abundant life. And so God, right now, I just pray that freedom God, a supernatural freedom, not anything that I have, but God, I pray that your spirit would begin to move in homes, your spirit begin to move through marriages, your spirit begin to move in our lives. God, we believe and trust that we can have an abundant life because of who you are and what you've done. God, I pray for this offering. God, I pray that you would bless it. God, what, what we want, God, is for people to find freedom. And you, we don't want to just do games. We don't just want to have a cool building. God, we want people to find freedom. And so, God, I pray that every dollar that's given goes so that someone can find freedom. God, I pray for children 
to find freedom. They don't have to accept what the world says is normal. I pray for students to find freedom when they're trying to find themselves, for adults, for our community, because of a generous church. God, we thank you for all these things. We pray you would bless us and be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.